Hello and welcome to the Everything with Val podcast, hosted by me, Valerie DePau, where we talk about life, current events, and travel. Today is the second episode of the Everything with Val book club, and today we are discussing The Culture Map by Erin Mayer. The book focuses on eight scales. Each scale is a representation of how cultures tend to behave along a spectrum in comparison to another. These eight scales include communication, evaluating, leading, deciding, trusting, disagreeing, scheduling, and persuading. We will go and dive deep into a few of them, not all of them because we just don't have the time. But today I'm joined by an incredible guest, Emma Bastian, co-host of the Ladybug podcast. I'm not sure if she knows this. She's the one that actually recommended me the book almost 10 months ago. Welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you. I recommend this book to literally everyone. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. I think I finished it in like almost two weeks. The only thing that slowed me down is that we're currently in like a little bit of a sprint. But I would mm-hmm. love for you to introduce yourself to the show. Who are you? Where are you from? All of those things. Yeah, cool. So, hey, I'm Emma. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is my favorite topic to talk about. And ironically, I picked up this book in the Frankfurt airport on a whim, and it turned into one of my favorite books of all time. And it Yeah, I think everyone should read it. So I am originally from upstate New York, born and raised in the US. But what year was it? 2018, I moved to Germany where I lived there for a couple of years. And last July, I moved to Sweden. So I've lived in a couple of different countries and definitely had some run-ins with cultural differences in communication. But by day, I am a software engineer at Spotify. And by night, I am a cat mom. Lovely. And Currently at Spotify, do you know how many cultures are represented in the company? I think so it's almost many. I think I don't, it's over a hundred at least. I don't know, but on my team we have people from the US, Scotland, England, Iceland, New Zealand, uh, Argentina, Sweden, so all over the world. Oh wow. And what made you want to work in a cross-cultural environment? I just think that learning about the world through different lenses is a much more wholesome way to go about life. Yeah, same here as well. I also think that it just makes you also a better colleague. Like I'm way more understandable of different personalities as well. Not only learning about more about their culture, but just how to like communicate. And I think that was my biggest thing with this book is that it actually came from a more practical approach, showing you how to actually do things rather than just saying we're different, you yeah. figure it out. <laughs> right. So on that note, just to introduce the, the author as a whole, Erin is a professor at INSID, a world-renowned business school. She's educated professionals, specifically managers, around the challenges of working multicultural and multinational companies. She wants to help those to achieve high performance and breed creativity around their ways of working. She wrote the book, surprisingly for me, in 2014 in order to share her findings and educate a wider audience on the ways to communicate cross-culturally. She also, not sure if you know this, Emma, she co-authored the No Rules Rules, describing and detailing the ways of working at Netflix, along with the author. Yeah, that's cool. Netflix. Yeah. I haven't read the book yet, but I've heard great things. So before we dig in, I think we really should define culture first, to not stereotype or anything. You talked a lot about this in your uh, podcast with the Ladybug podcast, and The definition that I found online is that culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. So this is tending to be those things and not always the norm. There are many people who go against these things and act in completely different ways, even though they are surrounded by these cultures. So just if everyone can keep that in mind. So the first thing is to obviously go into discussion of these eight scales. 
The first one being is communicating. So trying to analyze, are you a low context or high context communicator? And Emma, what do you think? How have you defined high context versus low context? So I come from a very, let me say it this way. As an American, if I think about what constitutes like good communication, I think about Mm -hmm. someone who is very explicit in what they mean, that they express their thoughts simply, clearly, and ensures that everyone's really on the same page. That's what we call low context communication, where we express our messages very, very clearly, and you you can just take the message at face value. In contrast to many Asian cultures, such as India, China, and Japan, for example, they value communication that is more implicit. So this this is what we call reading the air or reading between the lines. So the message is implied, but not explicitly spoken. And that that is high context communication. Yeah, I would completely agree. That's obviously what she writes. And I would say that in my experience, it has tended to be this way. And for me, it's a very polarizing experience. So I'm from South Africa, where it is as you like the one that you experienced, but I'm also Belgian. So we have French and Flemish and people definitely, as you say, speaking through the air. So when I was in Belgium and people would do that, I would be like, okay, but that's not what you told me. Yes, but you should have known what I was truly saying. Mm, I I had this issue when I was in Germany, like with my German managers. Now, let me be clear that Germany is a low context communication culture. However, they are higher context than people from um, the United States. So it's all about relativity with these skills. So someone from Germany, it's going to perceive me as someone from the United States as being very low context and people from Asian cultures as being very high context. I basically perceive every other culture as being higher context because they all fall to the higher context side of the scale. So it's all relative. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it goes in tandem with so many different ways, like how you're actually perceiving the person, because you can also be an active listener So I would say that certain people tend to be way more active, really trying to listen to what someone's saying, not really looking at anything else like body language or anything like that. Whereas the other, for example, in China, India and Japan, they're really trying to read everything that you are doing, your hand motions, where you're making eye contact, exactly what you're trying to say. And I think what was so interesting within the book is actually the connection to evaluation. So when evaluating, when giving specifically negative feedback, does one give it directly or prefer being indirect and kind of discreet? So the most Mm. sensitive aspects about being a part of a team is how do you actually give feedback? How have you experienced feedback or some of these examples within evaluation? Oof. Yeah, I remember like the first time I moved to Germany and I would get direct feedback from someone. I was like, oh my God, they're so mean. And I took it so personally. And what I realized is not every culture communicates the same way that I do. So I can't just assume that someone's trying to be a jerk to me. And this goes with feedback as well. So, you know, someone from Germany is used to providing direct negative feedback and they just say what they mean. In the United States, we typically would do like a compliment sandwich where you're like, oh, you know, like I really enjoy pairing pair programming with you like it's really great uh next time maybe you could do this um but overall like have a great time so you basically slip in the negative feedback in the middle but just make sure that you're like cushioning the blow um you also notice we use a lot of i think what they're called detractors which are words that are used to like lessen the blow so like a little bit or kind of those are like i think what we call detractors yeah i could be wrong though i can't remember what the term is I I think it is actually that. And what I found super interesting is because in South Africa, we're very direct. So it's as close to, I would say, in the book, she describes how in the Netherlands, they give very direct feedback. So much so that the example she uses, two colleagues are giving each other feedback. 
And one was so harsh that everyone else in the group was worried that they would had stopped being friends. However, that night at an after work, they were like hugging each other. So she went and she said, he was so harsh to you today. And he was said, yeah, it sucked to hear it. But at least he told me directly and I know exactly what I have to do. And I right. found that so interesting because for one reason, I actually called my dad, who's from Belgium, and it's a completely different feedback culture than the Netherlands. And I said to him, is this what the Netherlands is like in a working capacity? Because I've never heard this. I've obviously met a ton of people from Holland and experienced them, but never in a professional capacity. And I was like, is this what it's like? And he was like, yes. So that was just very, very interesting. But I think for in the context of the book, there's obviously two main viewpoints. It's obviously this direct high context context feedback where someone can either get it individually or in a group, but also feedback in private groups, you know, it can be frank and no sugarcoating, as you said before. But I think it's always dependent also on the person, regardless of their culture. Someone could come up to you and have that on, honest conversation and say, I would prefer my feedback to look like this, but there's always a, a way forward. And, you know, for example, in low context cultures, the giving explicit feedback with both negative and positive feedback, as you mentioned before, this positive sandwich or sort of gluing it. Mm. I think the problem there is if the person walks away, as she described in the book, and they're like, that was the best feedback session of my life. I, I was told I'm good at all of these things. And the only negative thing, which is actually the main purpose of the meeting, kind of failed in its delivery. Right. So they didn't even focus on it. What did you think about that? It's quite interesting. I also think it's interesting how in the United States, like we would typically give, we would have low context communication be very explicit, but when it comes to feedback, we are, what is it? Uh, Indirect negative feedback. It's just like a juxtaposition. It's funny though, because I do feel like people can change. They can adapt to different cultures from a communication perspective because I've definitely become more direct. I've kind of taken like a no holds barred approach to life ever since adopting the German culture of giving and receiving feedback and communicating. And my American friends and family are just not used to it anymore. But to be honest, it's like, well, I think feedback is a gift. <laughs> like personally, Pretty. so like yes. you shouldn't necessarily, you shouldn't be so caught up in the delivery of it. But yeah, I just, it, we can have a lot of miscommunication when it comes to these things. Also, I found it very interesting about Asian cultures and how yeah. they actually don't provide negative feedback at all. They just simply provide positive feedback. And it's your job as the receiver of said feedback to read between the lines and figure out what things they actually didn't praise. And those are the things you need to work on. Yeah. Which which I think could be quite challenging. But having said that, I think I've definitely experienced it as well. And I think it obviously in some ways is beneficial because then you're just trying to be more analytical, more observant, and just really trying to see your self-awareness. So in that sense, it's really improving that self-awareness. Oh, maybe I could have worked on this delivery in my presentation. Maybe I could have been more inclusive in this way. Or what do you think in those realms? Would you want to work in that environment? Or what do you think? Mm, no. I prefer directly. <laughs> I, I prefer it to be direct, honestly, because yeah. at that point, I know exactly what I need to fix. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if I could just say plain no, because I've never experienced it directly, or at least not something that comes to mind in a professional capacity. But I don't think it would be my first choice. Yeah, And I think the reason that I bring up feedback is because the next section we're going to talk about is trust. And I think right now I'm working in a company that extremely values feedback. It is one of our core bases of the company. And it goes hand in hand with trust. If I trust you, the way you deliver feedback will also change. So if you come to me and you say, Val, I thought that the way that you did this presentation was not very good. 
I'll maybe be more receptive because I trust you. I'm like, yeah, she's right. I could really improve in that way. But if I haven't maybe, for example, developed a, a trusting relationship with you, whether that could be in whatever form it is, I don't know how well I would also receive your feedback. Do you agree or do you disagree with my point there? Yeah, I think definitely like it's, look, it's, as someone coming from like an indirect negative feedback culture, it's yeah. really hard to get direct feedback. And so I definitely am more receptive to direct feedback from people that I have this relationship with. But I think especially being online in the past couple of years and navigating different cultures through the internet, I've been exposed to a lot, like a lot of my privilege and ignorance has been exposed. And at first it was really, really hard for me to accept like negative feedback from random strangers. And then I, I slowly realized that like, they're actually doing me a favor. Like regardless of how they deliver this message, I shouldn't be tone policing them or telling them how to communicate. Like the fact that they even are communicating to me is it's valuable. And so I don't know. I think my perspective on that has changed a little bit. Yeah, I would agree because in this sense, just to make it clear, trusting as she writes it is, you know, do people base trust on how well they know each other or how well do they work together? So she presents two factors of trusting, which include task-based cognitive trust and relationship-based, which is affective trust. So Mm task-based, for example, is through business activities and knowing, for example, that you're reliable. So I go to Emma and I'm like, I need this coding done by Friday at five. If I know she's reliable, I know she'll get it done. And we have a very task-based relationship because she's proven in the past that she's got it done. Whereas how do you, for example, see relationship-based trust, Emma? I am a relationship-based trust person for the most part, I think. I definitely need to have a relationship as like with other humans to work effectively with them. That's just me. And I understand that there are people out there who like to have very strict work-life balance and not get to know their coworkers on a personal level. I yeah. do. I like to care about people as people. And I feel like that's a little bit ironic because I come from a culture where that's not necessarily the case. So I'm not extremely sure where I got this type of life paradigm <laughs> from. Yeah. But it's definitely one I've noticed that for me, and you know what, I bet it's attributed to the fact that I have always lived in a different country or city from my friends and family. I've always had to make friends wherever I go, and especially living on a different continent from all of my family. It's like, okay, well, my coworkers are my friends, and my friends are my family. So for me, I need to trust them outside of work. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, I can definitely relate in that sense, especially since... My family spread out through the world, even with the, the sort of friendship, right? I have a friend who's in Paraguay and commutes to Uruguay. I have a friend in Melbourne. I have friends in South Africa. So it's all about that trust. And I mean, you have to sort of make your family wherever you can because, yes, to an extent, people sacrifice a lot because they choose to move abroad and move, leave their family. But it still doesn't make it any easier because you have to develop those trusts right from the start, wherever you're moving to. And that can be in both a professional capacity and in a sort of private capacity as well. So I really like the way that she describes trust because I think that in the model that she describes, I would much rather see, or it's more accurate to say, for example, we both live in Sweden. I would say that it's a blend of both cognitive trust and relationship-based trust, depending on where you work or what you're experiencing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, my work is both cognitive and relationship all at the same time, because they really value personal relationships and really getting to know you. It's really a lot about who you are as a person, but it's also knowing that you are reliable to get the job done. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. And then I think my favorite part of the whole book, because I'm somewhat of an outlier in this regard, because my country aligns on a different sort of framework than I do, but scheduling. So do they preserve time as a absolute linear points or considered as a flexible range? So for example, when I was living in the US, I had a roommate from Uruguay and she would come to dinners and stuff two hours late. And I would get super upset because if I'm not five minutes early, I'm late. And she would be like, yeah, but I was getting ready. I didn't actually know that you meant six o'clock. So what we started doing was saying that we need to be there at four and then we all arrived at six. So that's something that we... I'm always the person that was early for parties. Uh, I I remember showing up to like my Brazilian friend's house on time and she was like, oh, you're early. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm on time. (laughs) But that's the exact same thing to me. And then, for example, there's even like a polarizing shift within South Africa when you're in Joburg because it's the business capital of Africa, actually, at least from what I know still. But it's something where you have to be on time for meetings. It's the way that you show the person you're meeting for business, a sign of respect. However, when you're in Cape Town, which is the west coast of the country, you you know, everyone's like, oh, but we have the months and we go with the flow, like, oh, we're 30 to 30 minutes to 60 minutes late. It's it's whatever. So I think in those situations, it can always be like that because it's like that in the US, wouldn't you agree? Like the west coast, I think, would be more flexible with time, whereas on the east coast, maybe they're a bit more linear. Absolutely. So I thought that was just really interesting. So now moving into the next segment, which is our personal reflections on the biggest takeaway. So what did you think of the overall book? Do you agree with what she's trying to say throughout these eight stages? Absolutely. I, again, it's it's kind of a tricky line to walk because at the same yeah. time, we don't want to stereotype cultures. Naturally. But at the, you know, on the other side of things, it's, we would be remiss to not discuss the fact that culture, the way in which that we are raised, like it does have some impact on the way that we communicate, trust, etc. So, you shouldn't look at an individual and just assume that they have all of these custom, like this is how they are as a person. But be mindful that if you're having some dissonance between a coworker from a completely different culture, um, perhaps, you know, take a read through this book uh, and try to understand, okay, just because they're, you know, like, I don't know, talking during meetings or doing whatever, like doesn't mean they're a bad communicator or a bad coworker. It just might be what they're used to. Yeah, absolutely. I I would completely agree. And I think if I had to relate it to a personal experience of mine, I remember at my previous organization, I would ask my current manager for feedback, expecting, you know, very direct communication, like give it to me straight. And she would sort of do like a blend of being, you know, (laughs) a shit sandwich or whatever you would want to call it. But then she would actually tell some of my colleagues to tell me some feedback instead of coming to me directly. And I just took it at a sign that we need to come up with a compromise of our ways of working and set that our own personal service level agreements and say, how do we want to work? Because that's what I loved about the book is that she really provided practical ways of how to approach problems, not saying, oh, for example, the one manager who was from Denmark that moved to Japan, I think he, instead of saying, oh, well, I don't think you'll ever make it work. Your cultures are too different. No, here's a way for you to actually find a blend of doing things you'll have to shift, but you can definitely set up an incredible workspace. So I think that was definitely one. But the most impactful one for me that you've also mentioned in your podcast is also the use of food and drink to blow the message, you know, going out for a drink to set up a relationship, going out to drink or having a meal together to give each other feedback or create some sort of relationship between each other. And as someone who doesn't drink, this is sometimes very difficult if those cultures really emphasize, you know, 
alcoholic based activities so i really found that interesting to say you you know you can do it in another way maybe you can all go play tough golf or or things like that what did you think about those ones or do you have another experience that you found really aligning for yourself no i think that's good um and just being mindful that maybe not everyone on your team wants to socialize outside of the workplace and that's okay But yeah, I think like to your point, you need to discuss as a team how you want to work. That's the most effective way to build cross-cultural teams. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Okay, so I'm coming from a completely different perspective, right? I'm a recruiter for a startup company. And what I find always so funny is when I speak to other recruiters, one of the mandates for looking for people is people who will want to socialize. And I'm like, we have so many different people in the world with different personalities, interests, how can one of your requirements for someone to just get to to work for you is that they have to be someone who wants to go for, you know, an after work or doing things on the weekend with each other? I just think that's so strange. Don't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing for me. I'm always like, how can that be one of the like rubrics to judge someone on for a position? It doesn't implicate that they can get you know, it's not making them good or right. worse of the job. So I, I just find that so, so interesting. And then it makes me question when you're reading this whole book, because I know that you obviously advocated to everyone that you know, but if there was something you could change about the book, if it could be one thing, what would you change? It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe just more anecdotes. I really like the small little stories that she added yeah. in. I, I love books that do that. So maybe more of those would have been fun. <laughs> I would completely agree. And I would say not using, okay, so when I say this, it could be because I'm completely biased and I don't come from one of those countries, but I wish she would have also utilized more examples of not so obvious countries because she obviously talks about the US, France, Germany, the United Kingdom and all of that, but also comparing countries, for example, like South Africa against you know Malaysia or anything like that. So having more of those specific examples outside of the more traditional ones, I think would have been more useful. But I think what she does do in sort of the latter respect to that is giving the scale. So you could probably figure it out, but you would have to spend time to figure that out. So I thought that would be a good way to sort of improve the message, but maybe she'll write, you know, the culture map updated and provide all of those since we're now remote working. So that makes me also ask you, you're someone who's working for an organization that recently released a press note saying that they're going to convert to a remote working policy. How do you think working cross-culturally will now be impacted with remote working online? Do you think there will be any impact? I think that we're going to see a massive uptick in the amount of cross-cultural collaboration. Absolutely. For sure. And so yeah. this is this book and these topics are going to be more important than ever. I would love to see more books on this topic, to be honest, because I, I don't know yeah. a ton of books on culture and how different cultures uh, can collaborate effectively. Absolutely. And I think for me, also with uh, our flexible working policy at my current company too, I think a lot of companies are actually going to have to put in more resource making those blends because as you're saying, there's not a lot of material or educational resources out there to learn about this stuff. But I think more and more people will put it like in their, you know, it will come to the forefront of their <laughs> sort of thinking capacity of how can I improve my collaboration with my colleagues working in India, working in Canada, working in South Africa, Tanzania, wherever, and making it, you know, shorten the borders and making people feel way more connected. I definitely think it will be that. So if you've never had an opportunity before to work with someone, even outside of your city, you'll have that chance now. 
So I definitely think that it is the way forward. So I'm so glad it works. I just still can't believe this is from 2014 and it has so much good relevance. It's aged so well. <laughs> but yeah, the next one is like, what are your biggest recommendations for either someone starting or currently working in a cross-cultural organization or starting to? I think you just need to be patient and just be honest with your coworkers about, hey, it seems like we're having a disagreement in this area. Uh, let's talk about how we want to work more collaboratively, collaboratively mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah. I would suggest, obviously, patience is one. Emma hit it on the nose there, having a lot of patience, but also just being very vulnerable with the person saying, you know, you come from this culture, I come from this culture. What do you like? What do what can we can come up with that would improve our collaboration together? We're hitting a little bit of friction here. So, for example, something that I definitely struggle with is in my company. Some people really like communication through presentations, but again, I'm from a culture where direct feedback is yeah is my natural state. So I've just said, you know, when you feel like it's something that you need in a presentation, please be honest and tell me so I can put in that work and make sure that it's done for you. But if you can do the same where you don't have to put it in a presentation, just tell me automatically. That would work great. And then I think what is best in practice working with multi, like multiple cultures is just being open. If you don't know something about that culture, especially if it's from sort of a, like, for example, in the East, if it's coming from India, Japan and China, if you want to know something, obviously be very mindful of how you're asking those questions, but genuinely ask, how do you work in your country? What is the best way to get things done? How have you found success or high performance where you're from? So that you can also have an understanding of there. And I'm sure they would appreciate those honest conversations. Have you ever had some of these conversations, Emma, with your colleagues of how to improve? Yeah, absolutely. It's normal. Um, yeah. And you have to remember some people are not going to be as open to mm -hmm. having those discussions. Um, yeah. But I think creating a safe space to have those discussions, like, Scheduling a time to say, hey, I'd love to chat about a few things on how we can work more effectively. Um, also, there, Spotify, we provide like a feedback course about how to give effective feedback. And it's like, here's the action that you did. This is yeah. how it made me feel. And maybe here's how we can improve it moving forward. That actually removes a lot of the negativity that usually surrounds these conversations. And I think that's a constructive template to use. But yeah, just be mindful that like, hey, you know, let's let's schedule a time. Let's create a safe environment to do this. So everyone's on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually had this discussion with a colleague last night and I said to her, because you had such a great example there about the feedback thing. And I think if you're coming from a culture where direct feedback is not natural, just remember that it's not personal. I know that's very easy to say. Like, for example, Emma used the example of her living in Germany. I'm sure when you started out there, no, like it was a little bit personal and a little bit hurtful maybe in the beginning. But I think now, like after having some time and remaining patient, she's gotten used to it. And now she's even said that it's more of her natural way of working. She's found more of a comfort there than before in her sort of cultural norm of that aspect. So I think always just being patient and not taking it personally. Again, easier said than done. And then I think if we looked at it from a much more personal perspective, what are your biggest development areas in working cross-culturally? So what would you say yours is, Emma? What is your improvement area? That's a great question. I think maybe about deciding. I think deciding is a big area I need to improve on. We didn't talk about it in this episode. Yeah. But just the fact that different cultures dis make decisions differently and how I as an American, I'm okay making a quick decision and then coming back to revisit it later on. A lot of other cultures are not 
like they spend a lot more time deliberating and everyone in the group has to kind of like align to the same viewpoint. But once they make up their mind, they don't change it. And I think that's an area I'm still trying to improve on. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So just to elaborate there with deciding, it's more focusing on decisions made in consensus or made top down. Here in Sweden, it's more common for consensual decisions to make happening. So that is decisions are made in groups and everyone is sort of aligned on that. And you take a lot of meetings to get to a perspective of being aligned. Whereas in hierarchical or top down societies, it is made from yeah decisions are normally made by individuals. And it's normally either the boss or the manager of that group. So I think that that's normally the norm in Germany. I don't know if that was the norm for you while being in Germany, Emma, actually. But I think definitely here in Sweden, we use it as consensual. That's how I work with it. Mm. And I'm sure that's how you use it in Sweden, uh, Spotify as well. Yeah, it was definitely consensual decision making in Germany. Um, oh, it's okay. al- always weird working for a, an American company in a foreign country because often the companies will adopt like the United States style of working as a hierarchical company. You'll have, you know, big emphasis on job titles and all of those things more of a top-down approach but yeah it's always a weird like I always notice like my European co-workers getting disgruntled about like the American process so that's always like a weird situation <laughs> no absolutely and something interesting that you just said there as well is that when we're looking at leading as well for example you can have the same thing if it's more of a flat hierarchy so yes you have your very clear performance lead or someone who's responsible for hiring firing doing your performance check-ins things as such they tend to have these more consensual based sort of organizations. And then if it's hierarchical where you can clearly see where managers sit on the sort of employee life cycle, it's then going to be more consensual. And I think here in Sweden, at least it's very flat depending on the organization mm. as, as a whole. But I think when we're looking at that one, what I found so interesting is that in the book, she actually talks about this in the leading capacity and both in sort of the the feedback that you wouldn't actually give feedback to your leader directly while they're standing there because you want to respect their viewpoint. I'm not sure if you remember that in the book. I know it was some yeah, time ago. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was so interesting that, for example, one of the managers in the book, he gave a presentation and was like, okay, collaboration time. What do we do? And no one spoke and he was like, oh no, why did no one say anything? Mm. I, I really missed the challenge of my, my home sort of, culture of working professionally so how do I get them to do it and then he actually found a way and I love the example he was like okay if I want them to collaborate I will just step out because I value that they respect my position but I also want them to value collaboration and actually get their feedback on this because they're working with it I'm just initiating this so I found that really interesting and I think you can definitely see that in everyday situations but I think for me as I said what my biggest development is also I would agree sort of with the decisions is to just be patient and believe in delayed gratification. If you have to take more than one meeting to get something done, it's not because it's a bad thing. It's not good, not bad. It's just you have to respect the process in the company that you're in or sort of the culture in more over. The only thing that is left, I, I really wanted to get your opinion on this, Emma. Someone shared an opinion that national culture will trump your organizational culture. Do you think that's true or false? Because I think you come from an outlier in this. Uh, I think it's true for the most part because it's mm. it's further ingrained like it's been ingrained in us a lot a lot longer than our organizational culture. However, uh, culture can be learned. And when I say culture, I'm not talking about like customs that are traditional to a, a culture. Like 
I'm not talking about like whether we should be adapting different cultures, you know, if it's like appropriation. What I'm talking about is communication style and feedback style, uh, those types of culture aspects. It can absolutely be learned. Uh, and I think it's learned naturally if you are submerged within that culture. So I would say you're, I don't remember what you called it, but like the culture that you are born into and live in for the majority of your life is going to be a lot stronger than your organizational culture for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. The reason in the beginning that I said it was an outlier is because normally the rhetoric around Sweden or at least for the most part in Stockholm is that Spotify itself has this very unique company culture that is not as similar to the typical one that you would normally see in a traditional Swedish workspace. But I think it's because if you look at the company's life cycle, it's a lot older. So it's always been used to having multicultural. So it's had to develop its own culture. As you were saying, it's something that it's learned and iterated upon time and time again. So I think that's why it's so unique. But as you're saying, like it definitely can scale and iterate and do its own thing. So I found that one super interesting, but I would completely agree your national culture or your sort of Oh, yeah. How did you say it? Your home culture? I'm not yeah. sure what you were born with. I don't know if there's a great term describing it, but that one will always sort of, for the most part, trump your organizational things because it's most like a reflex. It's like riding a bike. It's the thing that comes most naturally. So I found mm-hmm. that one super, super interesting. But yeah, that's it from us and the culture map by Erin Mayer. I really, really hope that you all go out and read it and or listen to it. I, I'm not sure about you, Emma. I would prefer reading it because there's so many like graphs and sort of graphics to go with it. I wouldn't uh, recommend the audiobook given how many graphics there are. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. So I mean, it's not like I'm not recommending it. Like it's still better than not reading it at all. But like yeah. Yeah, there's so many charts that I think you absolutely need to, to look at. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree. But thank you so much, Emma, for coming on the show. Where can people connect with you or, you know, get in touch with you if they want to hear more about your story or just hear more from the Ladybug podcast? Uh, You can definitely find me on Twitter. I, you know, troll the internet over there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Oh, perfect. So thank you so much, everyone. Please subscribe, rate and review the Everything with Val podcast. As I said before, this is the second episode of the Everything with Val podcast book club bonus episodes. Don't forget to share with a friend, family member or anyone you think would be benefited by joining the show and learning more about working cross-culturally. Till next time, have a great week. And thank you so much again, Emma. Yeah, thanks for having me.